0: Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm your host, Anna Ward, an associate in Knight Frank's research team. Today, I'm joined by our Head of Global Residential Research, Kate Everett-Allen, and Alex and a partner in our international department. We'll be talking about our newly released ski property report and delving into key market drivers for alpine homes in Europe, starting with the impact of climate change. Hi, Kate and Alex. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Anna.
1: Hi, Anna. Thanks for having us.
0: Kate, to bring you in here first, and obviously your report is very in-depth, but a big part of it maps ski areas across 2,000 metres with north-facing slopes across key French and Swiss resorts. So it'd be great to hear from you on what the key findings are from this and which resorts are proving most resilient in this context. So
2: this year's report, which is our 15th ski property report, we knew that the hot topic really from our clients is around sort of the future of the sector and the market. And obviously, resorts, as we'll no doubt come on to, are doing a lot to address that. So we did a sentiment survey this year and took the views of around 320 of our clients to really understand sort of what's uppermost in their minds when looking at where to buy or how long they own in the French and the Swiss Alps. And as you mentioned, there's, there's a lot of interest in the energy efficiency of a home over there. But yet there's a lack of appetite, really, for paying a premium for that property. And this year we've looked at our analytics teams have mapped the uh, most resilient resorts across the key markets in, in France and Switzerland. And in particular, they're mapping those resorts with ski pistes above 2000 meters and those with north facing slopes. And there's, there's several markets that, that come out really well. But when we look at our, our price data, so we track prime prices across each of our probably 20 markets in total and. We were expecting to see that those more snowshore resorts, so your Val d'Azur's, your Courchevel 1850s, would be at the top of the the price results this year. But actually, it wasn't that clear cut. There wasn't a a clear pattern. We were seeing quite a a big mix of both high-altitude and mid-altitude resorts across the different rankings. So there didn't seem to be quite as strong a a narrative around the higher performance of snowshore resorts as we thought.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, in terms of just the trend for skiers heading towards those results, presumably that is the case, that you're seeing more skiers gravitate towards that. Is it the case there's a delay in terms of, yes, there are more skiers going there, but that hasn't yet resulted in higher prices for those homes? Or what would you say is going on? I think we're seeing a real clear divergence between
2: the different profile of buyers. So we're seeing, on the one hand, those ski aficionados who who just want to get on, on the slopes and sort of the fresh white powder for as long as possible. And they are targeting those higher resorts. But the flip side of that is we're also seeing summer tourism in the Alps take off on a totally new level, really, since the pandemic. So you've got such a packed calendar of events throughout the year now, both in terms of sporting events, the Tour de France, the ultra trail marathons, things like that. And you've got much higher occupancy rates. So those that are purchasing with a view to renting their property are getting higher occupancy rates throughout the summer. So they're happier to target those sort of mid-altitude resorts that have got a lot more going on throughout the summer months and often more non-ski infrastructure. So things like mountain bike trails, zip wires, all, all the rest of it. So there's a real split between the different types of buyers that we're seeing in the Alps.
0: And Alex, just to bring you in on on this point, what's your perspective on all of this? Because obviously, as Kate says, you might expect there to be more of a correlation between the more snow shore slopes and housing demand and pricing
1: you know kate said it very well uh, from the swiss perspective i think it's been really interesting this year how those mid-level resorts have performed so well just as she was saying you know we were expecting it to only be those resorts where access to high skiing was going to be the most popular thing but we're still experiencing a sort of post pandemic popularity for people wanting to use these properties in the mountains much more for a mountain experience all year round rather than just purely for a few weeks skiing during the winter. Of course, I think people's Directive is still very much focused towards the snow and towards the mountains. But those mid-level resorts of Magève in France and in my world in Switzerland, it's Comontana Villa, where there is life all year round now. I mean, in the resort of Villa, for example, there are three international schools. So you've got 800 students living in the resort all year round. So if you could turn up there at this time of year before the season kicks off, it's thriving, it's really active. And the same can be said for Comontana. And so I think, you know, that's where we've really seen. And what was... Actually really interesting was in the sentiment survey that, that Kate mentioned, one of the the questions that was asked, you know, when you're looking to buy, what's the key factor to take into account? And I would say historically access to ski slopes was probably the priority for the majority of people. Whereas this year, for the first time, we started seeing that access and ease of access to kind of amenities of the resort, restaurants, et cetera, overtook the actual ski slopes. So, you know, that's a pretty good indicator to suggest that people's aspirations of what they do in the mountains is key.
0: And uh, just going back to the climate change angle, Alex, I mean, would you say that aside from just as you say, you know, people are not just looking to ski anymore, there's more, more sort of diverse activities going on. But would you say that now that temperatures are getting hotter in the likes of Southern Europe, are you seeing more people wanting to simply holiday in cooler climates, for example? Is that a factor as well?
1: Well, I mean, we've always seen that really from families coming over from the Middle East, let's say, taking advantage of the the coolness of the mountains and the the healthy aspect. You know, do you bring your family over to go shopping in London or do you actually go walking in the mountains in Switzerland and France? And so that's always been a popularity. And yeah, I think that's probably beginning to happen a little bit. I would imagine, and I think as Gates says, the amount of activities going on in the summer now has definitely helped. It is interesting if you look at the climate change piece, though, At the moment, there is a lack of stock across the mountains. So it's underpinning pricing, and I'm sure we'll go into more detail later. But that lack of stock means that if the right chalet comes up in the right location, clients are still diving in and buying that chalet and then looking to see what they can do to improve its environmental impacts and its efficiency. What I think some of the resorts are doing, you know, you look at Verbier, for example, a number of, they've set up a team of about 10 people who are focusing on how to make the resort more sustainable, how to make it much more environmentally conscious. You know, do they use electric vehicles for the buses, which is problematic when you've got steep hills for these buses to climb. So, you know, how do you do that? How do you make the lifts much more economical, environmentally rather? And things like in Gestad, they have a, a waste management system, so they collect all of your they take it down to the valley they use that waste in order to produce heat which they pump back into the resort and that services two-thirds of the resort in their heating every year so things like that they're beginning to get quite adventurous on on how they manage it
0: just in terms of the resorts and how prepared they are for climate change i mean given that we've only recently seen quite a sharp decline in snowfall and and seasons are lasting less time How well prepared were they in advance to sort of diversify activity? Is that sort of, I mean, I don't actually personally ski myself, sadly. So were they already offering these diverse types of activities appealing to just non-skiers generally prior to all of this?
2: I think several had made good progress in the course of the last sort of decade or more. But I think since the pandemic, we've seen that offer improve and diversify even more. I'm sure Alex will have a few Swiss resorts that that are doing it particularly well. I mean, the key one really for the French Alps is Chamonix. It's a sort of town in its own right with a a resident population of around 10,000 people. But in the summer, that goes up to about 130,000. So that gives you an idea of just what the appeal is of of all these different activities. There's a lot happening and it's only going to, to increase as we see more demand for the Alps during the summer months.
1: Yeah, I think from the Swiss perspective, I mean, I think a lot of the resorts are definitely improving the number of activities available for non-skiers, both during the winter months and also obviously during the summer as well. It's interesting, you know, some of the resorts have been very, very good on this already for a while. There's a little tiny resort called Grimentz, which is sort of in the, you know, quite far away, but they spent a fortune every year going to Dubai and promoting themselves as a as a destination, come and experience the Swiss Alps away from the heat of uh, the Middle East. And I think the occupancy rates in Grimence over the summer are just as high as they are in the winter. And I think we're beginning to start seeing that happening and echoing across a number of the other resorts, and more established ones, where they've gotten on to the fact that they need to they need to provide more and more. You know, you go to someone like Colmontana, it's a town. You know, it's a big busy town where there's plenty of stuff for Anna to do when she's not skiing, but during the summer it's the same.
0: Genuinely, actually quite keen on the idea of skiing now that I know there's other things you can do. Honestly, in my mind, it was just... You ski, and if you're not great at skiing, you just wait.
1: (laughs) Do you know something I did for the first time last year? I, I went skinning where you walk up the mountain, and then when you get to the top, you take the skins off and you ski down. And we went very early in the morning, so we watched dawn come up over the mountains. You're there on your own in the mountain. It's just magical. And so there are loads now of these resorts. You know, St Moritz has... I can't remember the exact figure, but a huge amount of kilometres that are for cross-country skiing where you're just sort of, you're using skis, but you're, you know, you're walking across an area effectively. So you're not hurtling yourself down a mountain. And I think if you're not into that, there's loads more you know, opportunity for you.
0: Just on the bigger picture stuff, Alex, is that largely down to this huge shift we've seen after the pandemic? Is it more down to that than climate change and resorts protecting themselves from that?
1: I would say I think a lot of it's been there for a long time. They're just now promoting it better. Some resorts are taking a lot into effect. So Vilar always says that it's quite a low resort, but it's quite good for skiing, even in a, in a difficult year, because they built uh, up in the top of the mountain, they built some you know, man-made lakes, which collect all the rainwater, which then they use that water to then pump fake snow if it ever needs to. But Vilar have a, an advantage in the fact that a lot of the slopes are meadows. So there's no rocks. You know, you don't need big, heavy snowfall in order to have enough ski space to, to ski down it. And I think a number of the other resorts resorts. resorts are cottoning onto this and actually saying, look, in some of the lower areas, we can get rid of some of the big rocks. That helps us to maintain a decent ski slope, even when there's low snow levels. I think some of these resorts like Verbier, the quality of the restaurants, of the shops, of the activities in resort during the day, these old resorts, you'd go up in the morning in the lift at 9, 9.30, 10, whatever it is, where you go up and there's nothing really to do in the resort if you're left behind. Whereas nowadays, there's so many more, you know, there's private members clubs, there's sports facilities, there's loads of things you can do.
0: But how serious is this um, lack of snow? I mean, over a sort of 10-year period, are they worried about that? Do they have projections on it? I mean, I know that they're obviously clearly very robust and it isn't all ski, but presumably that must be something that they're looking at very closely.
1: Well, I think if you look at the weather fronts generally, I mean, you know, the thing is, is we, we seem to be going from one extreme to the other, don't we? We either have a year where there's, you know, dreadful snow, in which case they need to be prepared for it, and then other years where, you know, there's so much snowfall, we're struggling. So... Where resorts are becoming more attuned to it is they need to lessen their environmental impact. So they need to make it much more sustainable for the future. They need to prepare themselves for when there is a a bad snow year. And then they need to increase the level of activities throughout the year to keep that resort sustainable and keep that investment coming in. So, I mean, all of those things are now taking place. And I think the pandemic's definitely helped that.
0: Kate, did you have any insight on how concerned these resorts might be around snowfall over the next decade?
2: Yeah, that they're investing heavily. For them, they're probably doing more than we're seeing in a number of, of cities. You know, for them, it's a potentially an existential threat. So so they're, they're working really hard and the company De Mont Blanc They're actually working with scientists to produce snow forecasts for the next three decades. And they're doing things like Alex mentioned earlier on, sort of removing rocks, planting new grass, because obviously that keeps the snow intact longer. And then aside from that, they're obviously investing in, in green tech. So the snow cannons, et cetera, everything's solar or renewable energy. There's a huge amount taking place to ensure that electric vehicles are the norm, pedestrianising areas in the centre of the resort, etc. So there is a lot happening.
0: To finish, I've asked you all the heavy questions to start with, but I thought I'd uh, ask you if money obviously was no object, where you'd buy an alpine home. Alex, do you want to start with that one?
1: I always feel bad about this one because I'm going to upset somebody. Look, I mean, I think if money was no object, for me, I still think Verbier is the most amazing market. The skiing's fantastic. You've got access to high skiing, but you've also got loads of activities during the year. And there's loads to do whatever age. You know, I've got youngish kids. I mean, they're young teenagers. When they become proper teenagers, Verbier is going to be where they want to be. When I was thinking about this question that I thought, you know, you probably would ask me, I was also thinking, you know, where else would I consider? And Cormontana is another option. If I'm on a slight budget, then I would say that that's a really good idea. I love the resort. I was there recently. If you're buying the right place where you've got easy access to the slopes, the amount of amenities in that resort is incredible. So for me, it's a difficult one between the two. Unlimited, probably Verbier. If I was a little bit limited, then I might head towards Caen.
0: The ones that you're recommending, are they north-facing or do they have good snowfall? Key question.
1: No, I think the best thing about both of them is they've got wonderful views. Uh, so no, they're not particularly north-facing, but they have access to north-facing slopes, and I think that's the key.
0: And Kate, wh- where would you go for?
2: Well, I was lucky enough to go to two resorts this september so i did chamonix and i did verbier so obviously alex has covered off verbier as he would with his swiss hat on and i do think for me i'm quite a big hiker so chamonix is where it's at but i would I had a good tour of the whole valley and actually there's an area called les Uches, which is at one end with great views across the glacier and a really lovely view down the centre of the valley. And to me, I could quite easily take up residence there. And one of the things actually that talking to Andy Symington, who is our contact out with Mountain Base over there, he mentioned that e-bikes are really sort of changing the way that the market's operating because people are willing to look a bit further out because they've got the reliability of being able to get around on, on an e-bike. And I know Annabelle in our Verbier office, she does a lot of viewings on her e-bike. So it's interesting. interesting. Interesting how these things are sort of playing out and and having an impact on demand and on location.
0: Thank you both very much for going through all of that. Really good to get your insight into how much the duration of snow cover in the Alps is really impacting buyers. Uh, It's certainly new to me that there's so much on offer at all of these resorts. So interesting to hear about how they're future-proofing for the years to come. So thank you very much, Kate and Alex. Thanks, Anna.
1: Thanks very much, Anna.
0: For more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. You can see our show notes for more details on that. And please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks.